How many springs does an official ball have in it? How many springs? It doesn't have any springs in it. Well, how does it bounce then? It's air. There's air in the ball. Well, there's air in this room. How come this room ain't bouncing? Hey, everyone. We are back. This is Chris, your host of Love Means Nothing. David Zorik is with us again. He apparently is a fan favorite. Everyone like listening to him. So I'm bringing him on to go through the Australian Open draw. David, how you doing? Chris, I'm I'm excited to be back. I'm glad the fans like me. I got I got a new a new headset today, so hopefully hopefully the sound quality is is popping. It looks good. It looks good on you. It, and the sound makes, is def and the sound's better. Yeah, good. I'm I'm glad. Nice. Okay, so let's jump in the Australian Open. What do you think's the biggest surprise so far? I think it's got to be the number of young guys uh, that made it deep in the draw this tournament. Um, I think there were five teenagers that made it to the round of 32. We still got one left in the draw. Uh, my boy, Arthur Cazo, if that's how you pronounce it, I think. He's not really my boy. I didn't really know. I honestly didn't know anything about him until the Australian Open started. And so where did So where did he come from? Like, I believe he, now that he's on this stage... You know, some of the commentators like McEnroe are saying that this guy was one of the best juniors, but then he then he sustained some injuries, so he hasn't really been on the scene. But did he win some junior Grand Slams? I know he's a French kid. He's like 19 years old. He just beat Rune, and then he backed that up by destroying Greek Spore. He's got a huge game, but I had actually never heard of him before, which is rare because following tennis quite closely, his name had literally never come up uh, before on my radar. Yeah, I'm I'm in the exact same boat as you. I knew absolutely nothing about the kid until Australian Open. So, I mean, I did some digging and he was a top junior and then dude just dealt with a bunch of injuries. I think in 2016 had an elbow fracture, 2017 was out 7 months, then 5 months out in 2018 with a foot fracture, tore something in 2019, then out again 8 months in 2021 because of a mm-hmm. sports hernia. Like he's just been through it all and I think he's only had one career win on tour before this Australian Open. It was in 2021 against Adrian Manorino. So who who knows what level of Manorino that was in 2021. But actually, funnily enough, he hit a 5-1 record against Holger Rune, Rune in the juniors growing up. Uh, so it seemed like he's kind of had his number throughout. I wish I knew that before I put some money on Rune to beat him, um, but did not know that. And I guess, like, the guy just lives rent-free in his head. Yeah, you know, but then... I could see that, right? When you just are, are are fully confident against another player, obviously having that type of record against Rune, even throughout the juniors, like the guy can ball, but then he goes and backs it up against Greekspor, beating him three, three and one. And Greekspor is is a tough competitor. That almost impressed me more than beating somebody who you have a long history in juniors with, and like the pressure probably doesn't get to you as much because you're comfortable with who's on the other side of the court. But then to back it up. I feel like some people, like they really like, even Shelton came out of his shell at the Australian Open last year. I feel like the Australian Open is the one grand slam where people kind of appear on the scene that you've never seen before. Yeah, totally. And I think going back to that original point, I think, you know, like every now and then we see we see those wins where like a young guy or somebody will beat a Djokovic or Nadal or a big name in a grand slam. But what's almost even tougher is backing it up after that because you get on such a high where you're like oh my god i mean this guy in this tournament just made like life-changing money right yeah and to be able to kind of go back and and be like oh wait i can i can still win this and now he has her catch next which isn't a bad 
what fourth round match like yeah he's he's like her, like her catch is her catch is obviously a tough tough opponent but i feel like the australian open he's never had huge success i don't think it's his favorite court it's maybe a little bit slower than he likes so i think it's definitely winnable it, it is and then i mean after that he would have medvedev which i i don't Be know tough. how winnable I don't, I don't know how winnable that is i mean medvedev had a hell of a match who is it against oh yeah uh Rusevori. yeah i mean down two sets i i, I got up at 6 30 in the morning i checked i'm like oh he's down two sets i woke up Two hours later, and he had won. I was like, "What the hell just happened?" Um, but Medvedev. Yeah, I got I got up in the I got up in the morning for work, and usually all the matches are finished. You know, like three or four hours before I get up. We're we're on the obviously West Coast time in Vancouver, Canada, and I thought it must have just something happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it went too late, and then they 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 decided to like delay the fifth set, and then I realized that it was actually like they were just taking a break after the fourth going into the fifth. It's one of the latest matches ever played. I don't really have as much of a problem with it as everyone else has. It seems like about some of these matches going late into the night. It's obviously not ideal for tennis, just the fan base. They can't really stay up till 4 a.m. for matches. But it's funny because the Australian Open decided to get an extra day in. They started on a Sunday versus a Monday and the apparent reasoning was to prevent these late night matches. I think we all know it's about, you know, being able to bring an extra day of of the crowd and make that extra money from the media rights, etc. But, you know, they were being called out quite a bit on social media about, oh, yeah, it's really about the players and the players health when five days into the tournament, there's a match going on until 4 a.m. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm i of the idea that I, I think they should have postponed it to another day or or waited before. And just, I mean, start start it the next day. I mean, if you, especially if you have an extra day now. I think, I think I heard somewhere that Medvedev went to sleep at like seven thirty in the morning, which, I mean, like, for, for like recovery purposes. Like, I, don't, I mean, he came back and and beat Felix handily, which was a little surprising, um, just given how little recovery. Okay, I've got some, he had. I've got, I've got some thought, I've got some thoughts on that. First off, Medvedev uh, said he's a very good sleeper, and he said he yeah. can sleep. Um, at anywhere at any time so i guess he went straight to bed and was able to have a good sleep maybe the other thing that he is built a little different the other thing i like about medvedev is that uh he didn't complain about it okay so a lot of like especially well who other play a lot definitely on the women's tour it happens a lot there are definitely some men as well but like murray's complained there's been numerous complaints on both sides but Medvedev's match went to 4 a.m. It would have been very easy for him to blame the the tournament organizers, whatever. I never heard him complain complain once about the match starting at 11 p.m. and going till 4 a.m. Did you? I mean, I, I didn't. I mean, maybe maybe he's a night owl. Maybe he wanted this all along. I guess I don't know. I... And then he backed it up against Felix. I'm su- I'm surprised that you're surprised because Felix. Yes, he made the third round, which is good for him. He was your biggest disappointment, you said, he in the was. last part of 2023. Um, I personally don't see any changes in his game that would suggest this year is going to be any different for him. For him. He had a pretty decent draw, let's be honest, and then he got absolutely destroyed by Medvedev. Did you have other types of expectations? Was it just because you thought Medvedev would be drained after that late five-setter? Yeah, I mean, that was the biggest thing. I, I, I thought Medvedev's recovery would kind of come to bite him in the butt. Um, I I guess I expected Felix maybe to win a set or two. Um, I, I think overall it's still a solid 
Australian Open for Felix, given he's lost in the first round of the last three majors. Like, honestly, at this point, just to get any wins down is kind of like a confidence boost. And I thought maybe after winning two matches or so, he'd start to get into a little bit of rhythm. Um, but clearly it hadn't happened. I, I watched the first couple of games. I saw some misses that were like, like some forehands late, which he would miss by like 12 feet or like backhands long where I was like, like these are just like crazy misses that you don't really see and maybe his timing right. was off. I, I, I don't know. I, yeah, but that's that's kind of, that is Felix. Yeah. Like this is not new to me. Like he's, he just goes after it. Kind of like Chapo. He's a little bit more controlled, controlled than Chapo. But you know what I mean? Like, Every time he hits the ball, I don't know if it's going to go 10 feet out or not. Um, so anyway, he needs to get that under control. Maybe he needs a new team around him, fix his game a little bit. But let's move on. Um, let's stick with Medvedev for now, though. So his next match is against, and I'm going to butcher the guy's name, he's Portuguese. He looks like a young guy to me, too. Uh, Borgs, B-O-R-G-E-S. Don't know how to pronounce it. Borja, he just came off. I don't know. Borja, he just came off a big win against Dimitrov, which was disappointing to me because I'm I'm not a massive Dimitrov fan, but I like Dimitrov. I think most tennis fans do. It felt like this was a good opportunity for him to play. You know, Medvedev in the in the fourth round of a Grand Slam. He's had some success against Medvedev. I'm not saying he would have beat him, but this is a match. Clearly, you would expect him to get through. There was a small opportunity here. He won the first set and then he lost the next three sets. Dimitrov came in to the tournament in pretty good form. I think the warm-up tournament, he was playing better. I think he won it, actually. This was the first loss, I think, for of the yeah. year for Dimitrov. Um, did you watch the match? What do you think? And what do you think about this Portuguese guy? I, I watched a little bit of it. Um, I mean, to me, honestly, Dimitrov is probably the biggest disappointment of the tournament. Um, I think you could probably throw in a guy like Safalin in there and Shevchenko, although those are unseated guys who I thought were going to make deeper runs. Um, but Dimitrov, it seemed like everything was starting to click for him. Like we talked about at the end of 2023, how he had a really good run, um, started 2024 off like incredibly and to get, I, I mean, I think, I, honestly, I don't know the pronunciation either, but it seems like it'd be like Borges or right. something, but. To be to get Borges in the third round, who's ranked what like sixty five seventy, and to not be able to come through there, I think that's a major disappointment. I think even after the after the, after losing the second set, it almost seemed like he started a tank in the third set. Like he was down four hmm. zero quickly, and I mean that that is quite disappointing. I, I think had he got Medvedev, he could have gave Medvedev a run for his money, um, at least winning maybe a set or two and making things interesting right. there. Um, but I, I, I show, it, it to be comfortable in this next round. It shows how deep though the men's game is as well. That totally. these guys that are sixty-seven in the world and like, like Dimitrov didn't play his best. But I watched you know a little bit of the match and and this other guy like he can ball. You know what I mean? Like it was insane how good of a tennis player is and he's sixty-seven in the world. It just shows that like how competitive it is uh, in tennis these days. But I still think Medvedev. He's one of those guys that like, he's just going to, he's just too steady, too strong, too smart for him. So I expect Medvedev to get through him in three. And then Medvedev should play the winner, would play the winner of Hercatch versus Kazel, which again is a pretty good draw. So, you know, Medvedev, no one's really talking about him. Like most people have, since Elkaraz hit the scene, 
Medvedev has really fallen off as far as like in the conversation of potential winners of Grand Slams. But, you know, watch out because you were saying that you think Medvedev's kind of figured Alcaraz out a little bit. So Medvedev could be kind of that guy that gets to the finals and maybe actually comes out with a win here. Well, and and Alcaraz has looked kind of shaky. Like I watched a big part of that Sonego match and and everybody seems to talk about how Seems to be talking about how Alcaraz kind of looks maybe a step slower, something like that. Um, I I also believe that like I don't want to look too much into the early matches. I think there's a lot of like just getting rust rust off for these big guys like Djokovic and Alcaraz. So I don't I don't look into that too much. He looked pretty good against J.C. Shang, although J.C. Shang kind of rolled over like a dog. He like he is J- like what what what's up with that? Is he just a huge pussy? I'm sorry, but Man, like I, I, you're I, in the you're in the I third know, round on on Margaret Court Arena playing Alcaraz, and your quad hurts. Obviously, it wasn't like a, a major injury. It kind of felt like he knew he was getting smoked, and he was kind of like faking it. He was tanking a little bit. That was pathetic. Dude, and then he was looking at his dad, being I, like, yeah. "Oh, can I have permission to quit?" And his yeah. dad was just like tight lipped, wouldn't say anything. It was hilarious. Yeah. It was embarrassing, dude. And. I'm especially disappointed because, dude, I, I had this guy as one of my breakout stars of the year, and I, I felt really good about it. I'm like, look, this guy's in the third round. Like, maybe I got something right here. And then, yeah, like, I mean, in the second set, he's looking over at his dad. Like, I get that you're young, but, like, daddy can't make decisions for you. Like, it's, like, come on. No, I mean, exactly. It, it was it was disappointing. And then to just, like, retire, I mean, I don't know. I Well, okay, just, okay, I'll just, like, just so you feel better, you know, that make, was one of your picks. And he, and, he, better. and he still went to the third round. Yeah. I actually, you know, in a previous pod, I'm like, watch out for Sevchenko in the Australian <laughs> Open. Because in one of the warm-up tournaments, um, he played Echeverry. And he and he beat Echeverry. And I knew yeah. Echeverry was coming in, playing well. And so I'm like, okay. And I've, I've been watching this guy for a while. And I feel like he's going to break out. You know, and then in the first match, it was literally the first match of the Australian Open, the first time I checked the scores, and he, like, lost to, fuck, I don't know, Munar, Munar yeah. some, some nobody, like, 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 three, three and one or something stupid. I'm assuming he he must have come, he came in with a little bit of an injury, but, you know what I mean? Sometimes our picks don't always work out. But for you, for Shang getting to third round against Alcaraz, you know, even if he played well, he was going to lose that match. So I don't think that was a terrible pick. Yeah, but I mean, I also, so I did a, I filled out a bracket challenge before the tournament. I had Shevchenko making the fourth round. And like, you yeah. know, I thought beating Munar was a lock. I don't know if, I don't know the last time Munar has won on a hard court. Like, I, I expect him yeah. to just be like a clay court specialist. And I mean, like, okay, if he lost in five sets, maybe, whatever, had a bad day. But like, what, to lose? Yeah, I think it was. Like he, mu- he, he, he must have stepped on the court injured, or he's just mentally messed up, because there's no other no other reason. No, no, for no that. other no other explanation. I yeah I don't know. And and Safflin too. I expected Safflin to have a deep run. I even forget who he lost to, but he had a he lost in the first round to somebody. Yeah, but it was a tough. It was a t- he played. Uh, I forget too, but it was a tough draw for Safflin. Um, it was against. Uh, uh doesn't matter i'll find it later um but uh let's talk about marino for a second here okay because is this guy 
on some some sort of banned substances right now because Manorino's <laughs> always had a good career, but not an amazing career. You know what I mean? He's hovered around 40 in the world. Um, he's never really been dangerous against like the top, top guys. Uh, he makes the game look freaking easy. Okay. He's yeah. one of those players at all levels of tennis where you, where you play someone that's very unorthodox, but they drive you crazy on the tennis court. He's doing that at the highest level of the game. And he goes and he beats Shelton. Shelton obviously was pretty pissed off because he expected to win that match. Yeah. What's going on with Manorino at the age of 35 or whatever he is right now in his mid thirties playing the best tennis of his life and making these deep runs? Dude, I, I have no clue. I, I, I think it's just a matter of like guys are super uncomfortable against him because he plays like nobody else and he has these weird gimmicks. And I saw a point against Shelton where he like threw his racket to hit the ball and then the ball went over the net. And it, it went in. First time, first time I've ever seen that in my life. And yeah. I actually found out something interesting about Manorino the other day, which was that every time he waits until one hour before the match to figure out who he's playing. So apparently he doesn't even know the draw in advance. So Manorino is chilling at home right now. He doesn't even know that he's playing Djokovic. I think he's in for like a rude awakening when he finds that out. But it, it was an interesting thing. It was like, I'm trying to figure out his mindset into why. I mean, maybe he just doesn't, I mean, he doesn't prepare anyway, probably. So. Yeah, I know people were talking about that on social media after I've got I got a couple like calls from friends being like, hey, did you hear what Manorino said? This guy's super cool. He's super <laughs> chill. He doesn't care, which I found a little odd, too. But I have to admit that Djokovic is, in my opinion, a pr- is about as bad of a matchup as it goes for Manorino, because Manorino is the type of player that's able to find a weakness in their in his opponent and expose it and drive his opponent crazy because he'll always keen on that. But Djokovic doesn't have any weaknesses. Yeah. So I think Djokovic is just going to be way too solid for him. And it's going to be a three set win. Yeah. I mean, as, as a Djokovic fan, like I would have much rather seen Djokovic Shelton. I wanted to see the, the pick up the phone thing so again, the celebration. And it just would have been a way better match. Like I, if this match is at 2am, I'm not staying up to watch Djokovic Manorino for Shelton. I might've, um, but. I think most tennis fans are disappointed about that too. Obviously, the rematch of the the U.S. Open semi, a little bit of beef around the phone yeah. drop, etc. Like Matt, it'll be a fun match to watch, but it could I easily have been a first round match as well. You know what I mean? It's not it's not okay. that great. I'm not staying up to two a.m. to watch that match either. No, no. I actually thought Shelton was going to beat Manorino because Manorino on the ad side he drives people crazy with that the really wide lefty serve that he has and he brings people yeah. off the court, but that, that feeds into Shelton's forehand being another lefty. So I thought Shelton was going to be able to manage that and win the match, but um, apparently not. Yeah. It, I mean, it, from what I watched, at least it seemed like Shelton would just some, sometimes go like too big in big moments where I think, yeah. you see, I, I think you see that with these young guys in general, we're just like going for a winner and just like it, the ball is in my court sort of thing and whatever happens is going to happen. And I think, they just need to play a little smarter in some of those moments, like higher percentage shots. And then eventually you'll get a short ball and you attack. Like you, like, especially when Shelton's like ripping his back end from four feet behind the baseline, going for winners. Like, yeah, I don't think that's sustainable against any guy that gets a lot of balls back. And Manorino's a counter puncher. So he almost exactly. liked it. He was almost kind yeah. of playing into his game a little bit. Yeah. You know, who might be the most clutch player so far, the Australian open is check Manic. So he had match. I, 
Dude, against Struff in the second round, he I think he had a ma- he, I think he had a match point against him. It was a fifth set tiebreak. It was very close. I believe Struff no Struff did have a match point he against did. him. He did. He had a backhand yeah. slice and he hit it long. Chuck Manic then like just like pulls that one out of nowhere. And then against Tommy Paul yesterday in the fourth set, Tommy Paul had two separate match points. Chuck Manic fought those off and then goes and routes him in the fifth, six love. Dude, my that, that's my Serbian boy, Miomir Ketsmanovic. Yeah. He's I like I, I was watching that Struff match and I was I was stressed as can be and I, I I couldn't believe he pulled it off. And then against Paul, like I mean I, I thought he would almost have nothing left in the tank. Although the Struff match, it was like five sets, but three and a half hours. It was it was weirdly short because both sets that Struff won were like six one, six one. And anyway, yeah. I mean, I, I thought Paul would just kind of like grind him down sort of thing. And, and Kitsmanovic won the first set, then lost the next two, three and two. And I was like, okay, it's a it's a good run for my boy. Comes back, saves some match points, 6-0 in the fifth. And we'll, we'll see, like against Alcaraz, if he's got something left in the tank, that'll be a good match. Because I think they had a really good match in, in Miami a couple of years ago. Um. And Kitsmanovic has been playing well. I think he beat Draper in Davis Cup. He was playing well for Serbia in Davis Cup overall. Um, I think like a couple years back, he was up to 25 in the world. Now he's kind of down to 60. Dealt with some injuries. Is he only 60 now? Yes. I mean, again, another one of those guys that like 60th in the world, playing well, just like my boy, Thomas Mahach, who we can get into later. You know you know how much I like him, but... um, yeah, I mean, I you know, Ketchmanovic. The thing about Ketchmanovic, yeah, yeah, I think so too. The thing about Kemet, Kem, however you, you pronounce his name, I don't know, some, some random Serbian name. <laughs> um, he's just like, yeah, he's a great player, but he's also kind of he's kind of boring to watch call, because he's not he's boring. not exact he's he's not a good looking guy. Okay, he's not okay, a good looking guy. He, he, he's got beard. kind of chubby legs. No, it's more like an acne acne beard. It's anyway, no, but he's I, obviously a good player. Yeah, I, I was I was looking at his beard and I was I was thinking to myself, my guy, you, it's you weak. Gotta, you gotta, you gotta it's a weak beard it. game. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of like an Amish beard. It's like just under his neck. It's like a neck beard. You know what I mean? Like yeah. under his chin. Yeah, it's not a good look. It, it, Bublik little... does the same thing. Yeah, and it's... I just want to literally get a like a little razor blade and like shave that off for Bublik. It, it's a little. It's a. <laughs> It's a little bit like your beard back in the day, to be honest. <laughs> what are you talking about? What are you talking about? I know you had that little chin strap going back in the day. Finally can grow it out. Yeah, the chin bit. strap. No, the, what, gin, the chin strap looked good. I'm thinking about bringing it back. Oh, yeah? Well, what's the wife you going to yeah. think about that? I don't know. Hey, talking about Serbian players and guys that look good and guys that look not so good, Djokovic started the tournament Maybe a little bit shaky. I know he was under the weather. Yeah. Uh, and then he came back in his third round and he looked more solid against Echeverry. Um, but the doubters were out. You know what I mean? He goes to four sets in his first two matches. It wasn't even a five-setter, but everyone says, okay, finally, age yeah. is catching up to Novak. You know, they're looking for the slightest little bit of weakness. Um, do you think Joker is like a lock-in to win this tournament like he's been last year? You know what I mean? Or even the year before or when he wasn't banned you know, because I of mean, COVID. I mean, Joker, he, he was doing that on purpose. I mean, he wants to get, he, he wants to think, he wants everybody else to think that they have hope. And then he's like, oh, everyone's like, oh, look, Djokovic isn't human. And then when he needs to, he turns it up. I mean, it's, it's the typical Djokovic. I mean, no, in all, in all seriousness, I, 
the Croatian kid looked pretty good. He he pushed him quite a bit. Popper, yeah. I was always scared against. Like I'm always scared against those guys that have like big games because I don't like a guy like Echeverry is essentially the same player as Djokovic, but Djokovic just does every single thing better than him. And against those sorts of guys, like those grinders, I never really get scared of. It's those guys with big games, like a Shelton, who can potentially hit Djokovic off the court. I think Popperin has a little bit of that in him, where he has a big forehand, big serve. Um, he has looked. What, hey, what 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 did you think of Prismic shorts? Did you like the? You, I think you probably like the really short, tight yeah. shorts there. Those are some of the smallest shorts I've ever seen on the tennis court. The guy has massive quads for his age, but those shorts were a little ridiculous. Dude, they look I, like spandex. I, I think everybody's shorts are getting short. Like everybody's getting shorter and shorter. Like Raonic. Who else? Short. There's another. Yeah. Raonic is where he was where he was rocking the Lululemon. So he's no well, longer with New Balance. Well, the short short. And they were short. The short socks. I mean, he's just showing off the whole leg. I mean, dude, why are, why would anybody do the, why would any man in tennis I, do the ankle sock? I, I don't know. I, I haven't worn the ankle sock since I was like eight years old. Dude. dude. I, that's like the marty fish special but it always looked like shit yeah i i i don't get it it I, makes your legs kind of just look small like you might as well pull those socks up to the calves where there's start where there's some like size well it, it's an actual thing where longer socks make your calves look bigger yeah of course and, and then the shorter socks make your legs look longer but if you're six foot seven milos roundage i don't think you need your legs to look any longer like i understand if like a five eight dude did it there is but, I don't know. There is a bunch of short shorts. I know that people are talking about it. Yeah. Then there's Manorino rocking the like ugly Lululemon that are like going down past his knees as well. <laughs> the, the, the basketball shorts. Manorino doesn't give a shit. No, he, he doesn't give a fuck. He's, he's in here to collect his little check. I mean, he'll he'll come out of the tournament with 400 grand. Well, he'll spend half but apparently, on tequila. He'll, he'll have a good time, man. Dude, apparently Manorino has a sugar daddy. So he doesn't need the money. <laughs> Does he? Apparently, according to which credible source? Apparently, that's a source from somebody on the tour. But I can't. I can't drop. I cannot drop names for uh, something for something that revealing. I, I didn't know you were plugged in like this. I, I didn't know you had sources. Is it Renee Stubbs? Is she yeah. telling you this? Or no, it's definitely not Renee. <laughs> Renee doesn't talk to me. She doesn't <laughs> okay. like me. I want. I like her. I want to be friends with Renee. I've said that, but she doesn't like me. Yeah, just just not on talking. I I wonder why. I wonder why you guys aren't on talking terms. We we don't need to get into that. <laughs> So okay, so Djokovic um, plays Manorino, should walk through that, and then he plays the winner of Fritz, Fritz and Sitsipas. Curios tweeted something a few days ago predicting Sitsipas was going to win the Australian Open, which I found odd just based on Sitsipas's game, but also it's a tough draw. You know, yeah. I mean, you'd have to go through Djokovic, Sinner, and potentially Alcaraz. Um, Fritz. Came out of the gates super shaky, as he typically does. Uh, he had a terrible season last year in the Grand Slams. Yeah. Um, but then he started to find his game a little bit. He's had a pretty good draw, let's be honest. And he plays Tsitsipas uh, in the fourth. What's going to happen there? Yeah, I mean, I, I think Tsitsipas rolls, rolls through him. I, I, but I, I think it was an awful take. I don't know. It was especially strange because I I listened to some of those interviews with uh, Kyrgios and Djokovic and like, he Kyrgios kept on talking about how like Djokovic is the go, and he kept on like just like su- sucking up to Djokovic like like there's no Lot tomorrow. Of and I mean, you'd think that he would have Djokovic as the winner, um, but yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, like to have to beat potentially Djokovic, then Sinner, 
than Alcaraz. I mean, there's no bigger gauntlet in tennis right now. Um, and I don't know. I, I just don't trust, like, in this Tsitsipas Fritz matchup, I just don't trust Fritz, really. I'd be very happy if Fritz comes out of that because, I mean, Djokovic rolls through Fritz every single time they play. Um, yeah. And Tsitsipas has the game, again, where, like, he could potentially scare Djokovic. We started at that French Open where they went five sets. Tsitsipas won the first two. Um, I don't know. I mean, I think Tsitsipas wins that. I think then Djokovic beats Tsitsipas. Again, still, still hoping that Fritz comes out of that, but probably won't. Um, it was interesting because in our last time we chatted, you know, we, talk, we talked a little bit about uh, Tsitsipas' serve. And I said, you know, it's a little weird. It could use improvement. Sinner started dragging his foot. And what do you yeah. know? Uh, in the first match, and he's kind of been going back and forth, I think, a little bit. Uh, he started changing up his motion. People were talking about he started dragging his back foot in. Um, what's going on there? Is he still dragging his foot? Did we just like call exactly what Sitsipas should do? And somehow he was working on it at that exact same time? I, I think he might have. I think, I think honestly, Sitsipas has to listen to this podcast and he's going to hire you as his coach because I know he's having some difficulties with his dad. You know, Th- those are always a thing. And, you know, with your, with your tennis knowledge and, and with your serve, especially, I think you can bring a lot to. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think he probably should bring me on with his dad. Remember when he fired his dad last year as the coach? And I thought that it was kind of kind of like Bedosa's doing like Bedosa was giving him the evil eye at Wimbledon. Like this was being talked about. I don't know if their relationship was that good. And then all of a sudden he fires his dad and then he starts losing every single match. And then he brings him back on his team. Do you think Bedosa and Tsitsipas's dad have a little bit of beef, or do you think they're getting along well now? Well, I, I don't know. Was was Tsitsipas's dad like hitting on her, or what was happening there? Because I, I I've heard it stories. Could have been. I could well, see that. Is I've his dad? Is his dad a bit of a player? Well, that's that's what we've heard. That he's a little bit of an interesting character, to say the least. So is he a bit yeah. of a womanizer? I, I don't know. I, I I don't know enough about him, but I mean, maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Okay, if you were playing that match, okay, who would you rather have in your box? Fritz's girlfriend or or Sitsipas's girlfriend, Bedosa? I mean, I, I feel like Bedosa could at least give you some some pointers. Like, Fritz's girlfriend is just annoying there in the box. Like, she she just wants to be there just for, like, the the Instagram and stuff. Like, I, it feels like she's not even, like, at least show some emotion, right? Like, be excited. Like, you don't just have to, like, it's not all for Instagram, okay? It's I, I saw I saw her and Fritz were like sh- sharing or like trying Djokovic's new drink or something like the electrolytes, which I thought was, mm. I mean it was it was finally like maybe her first good piece of content, but it was a little bit. So you're not a bit. So you'd rather have Bedosa in your box than Fritz's girlfriend? Then you think she's in it just for her own kind of like her own Instagram, her own popularity? I think there's probably a little bit of truth there for yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, I again, I, I don't know her well enough to or know her at all to. Be well, you don't know her at all. Her. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I don't know her at all to be able to speak on it, but I don't. It it just seems a little bit suspect. Do you and, know that they met just like? Do you? They just met like on on like an online site. Yeah, wasn't it like 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 a, a, like a bumble or something, or something yeah, like that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's kind of yeah. random that like Taylor Fritz, you know, would be on that. You know what I mean? Like. You know, at the time, he's probably like 25 in the world. Yeah. And you're swiping and then Taylor Fritz, Fritz just pops up. Yeah. And who's like a, like a good looking six foot four dude. Yeah. Who travels the world. Like, uh, he's probably yeah. just travels the world. You know what I mean? And when he goes to different countries, he just like hits it up 
to meet new girls. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, I guess. Did you so. watch her on Breakpoint? The the new season. Yeah, I I haven't watched I haven't watched it yet. Um, but do you I, think I, Fritz, do you think Fritz is smart? Like, do you think like okay? Do you like do you think he's an intelligent person? Do you, what do you think about his like IQ on the tennis court? I mean, I I don't really think anything negatively of his IQ. Like, do do you think he's do you think his IQ? I actually is think he. Back? Well, I he's think sometimes he, he. I think I think actually on the tennis court, I think he's pretty. Uh, I don't think he's not smart on the tennis court. I think yeah. you have to have all to be at that level. You have to have pretty IQ, high high tennis IQ for sure. I would say probably some of his life decisions, but who am I to judge, right? All I know is that there's been like, I don't know <laughs> no, if I would say no, that no, he's no. probably made the best, the you're... best life decisions, but look at him. He's doing pretty well. You know what I mean? So yeah. I can't really hate because that would make me look so stupid. Chris Hasek won a pillar of, a pillar of life decisions. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move down the draw. So Sinner, Hatchinoff. Um, another fourth round, and whoever wins that's that will play the winner fourth, of. That's a good fourth round. Whoever plays, whoever wins that will play the winner of Dimitar Rublev. Let's start with Sinner Hatchinoff. Hatchinoff's impressed me because you know he was injured for the most part of of last year, at least the second half of last year. So you never know a person coming back. He started to find his game, I think, throughout the tournament. I think even starting out, he wasn't sure physically if he could withstand it. You know what I mean? How good his game would be. He got through a couple tough matches, and now he's starting to hit his stride. Um, but he's up against Sinner, who is actually looking very good now. Everyone jumped on the Sinner bandwagon at the end of last year, understandably so. I always had my doubts because he hasn't done anything really too amazing in majors yet. But he's looking very good. What do you expect for this match? I think I think Sinner has probably easily looked like the best player so far this tournament, I mean, he's lost, I agree. what, like 15 games? I mean, in the last two matches, he's lost 10 games, which is, like, yeah. unheard of. And he's just been, like, absolutely yeah. running through opponents. I mean, the, the counter-argument to that is he hasn't really faced any challenges so far. So what happens when he runs into a guy like Kachanov who's who's playing well and maybe will take him four or five sets? I, I think Kachanov's playing really, really well. I was watching that that match closely against Mahach, um, where I I still think Mahach should have probably won that match. Um, although Hachanov won in four sets, Mahach Why? was well. Mahach was two of nineteen on break points, and Kachanov was two of three on break points. And so at the end of the day, that's just experience wow. there. Where I mean, if yeah. he goes five of nineteen on those break points, he probably wins that match. Um, but regardless, Hachano's playing super well. I still expect Sinner to probably win that in four. And the winner of that has another tough match. Rublev or Dimonor, both of who are playing quite well. I think that section is just, like, that's a really strong section of the draw. Yeah, I think uh, Sinner is going to be too strong for Hachanov. I think he might go in a little drained as well. He's been playing a lot of tennis, you know, after not playing much tennis. So... I think when you combine just Sinner having a better game right now and then the physicality of it, Sinner coming in super fresh. Yeah. And like you said, probably losing only 15 games. So I think that will probably might be the first couple sets will be close. You know, maybe Hatchinoff will take one of them. But I think Sinner in three or four 
Um, and then the Diminur Rublev, that actually will be a pretty close match, I think. I don't love either of I, them to get through Sinner, to be honest. I think I think the buck stops there. Sinner will have a pretty relatively easy time, I think, with either of them. But this match is good. Diminur is playing probably the best tennis of his life right now. Uh, Rublev is playing probably how Rublev plays. You know, he just came off of a win. Super solid player. But he can't seem to get through. You know, he's never gone through the quarters of a Grand Slam. He's been there eight times. You know, when he gets to that higher level, he just falls a little bit short. He might get through Diminur, but then he's going to lose in the quarters anyway. You know what I mean? So I'd actually rather see Diminur get through because I think it would be more interesting to watch like a hometown guy in Diminur play center. I just think it'd be more fun to watch. Yeah, and and I think I think styles make fights, and I think there's there's such a big contrast in in a Diminur against Sinner match where Sinner absolutely hits the shit out of every single ball, and Diminur is like your typical grinder or counter puncher gets every single ball back. I think that match would be super exciting to watch. What do you think about Curios commentating? It's kind of like he's left the game essentially. Like I've, I said this on a previous pod as well. I'm like, you know, he's just starting to like starting to grow his kind of career as a personality in the media yeah. world, etc. He started his own pod. Now he's commentating. I actually think that he's doing a pretty good job, but it's interesting because he's super positive. You know, what I mean, as commentators are, you can't shit on everybody like yeah. he likes to do. Right. So he's taking a different approach at it. You know, he's going in with a plan. Uh, I think he's doing actually a pretty good job. What do you think? I I really like uh, listening to like, especially current players commentating matches, because I think they can give a totally different insight than some of these commentators. Like a guy like Johnny McEnroe, for example. I mean, he's I, I generally don't mind him, but he hasn't played tennis professionally in what, like 30, however many years. And He's for sure never played against these guys, for example. And a guy like Kyrgios has played against these guys so many times. And so he just has a different like point of view and perspective. Similarly to Chris Eubanks, who I saw last night and I was interested to see. I'm like, oh, what's Chris Eubanks doing on ESPN? But he's well-spoken. Again, has, he's commentating the Medvedev match and played a five-setter against Medvedev in Wimbledon. So he knows like, things about Medvedev's game that these commentators just don't know. And I mean, I, I love it. I think it's, it's a little bit weird to see current players doing it because you don't really see it in any other sport. I mean, in basketball, for yeah. example, you see, you see it all well, the time. You sometimes do in basketball, like in the playoffs, if, if someone's out. I, yes. Uh, yeah. Fair. I guess a guy like Draymond Green will come on. I guess in the, in the NFL, you saw it where I think it was like Greg Olson, for example, at the end of his career, as soon as he retired, Jason Witten again. Um, so I guess you see it every now and then, but those guys that are like in the prime of their career, I guess sometimes you don't see it as often, but I, I yeah. like it. I like it. It gives a different point of view than anything else. Yeah, I agree. Uh, it's funny how some of like the older people in the game, you know, they're still holding on to the reins. Like, uh, and this is jumping to a different topic, but we'll get back to the men. I want to, I want to finish off the men's draw, but when, it ta- when we're talking about older people in the game, like Martina Navratilova and Chrissy Everett, they are actually the largest voices that are against the women playing um, in Saudi Arabia, 
It's actually not the current voices. Whether you agree with it or not, they are by far the two most outspoken, loudest voices. And the current players, they want to collect as big a checks as they can. And they don't seem to have as big of a moral issue with playing in Saudi. But, you know, I find that interesting that these two people, legends of the game in their own right, but now they're influencing where the women's game is going, even if the active players may not want it to go that way. Well, I mean, let's be real. Like someone like Chrissy Ever, if the WTA goes to Saudi Arabia, is she getting a penny of that? Probably not, right? Like when, like when you have one hundred million dollars in front of you, or however much money you have, like literally life changing money, I, I can see how you can kind of turn turn a blind blind eye to it. It was the same thing with with like Nadal. Like I know there's a big controversy. How he's now um, the what, like some ambassador of tennis for Saudi ambassador. Arabia. Ambassador. Yeah. yeah. And and they asked Iga Sriatic about it, um, thinking that maybe she would have some controversial like opinions about it. But she was like, oh, like Nadal can do whatever he wants. And and it was kind of like it's an answer you would expect. Like she didn't bash him at all because Nadal is her idol. Um, but I, I was even trying to read. I was trying to read and see if she had like some different points of view about that maybe last year and she see if she was like contradicting herself but her her point of view has kind of remained the same i think i i read last summer she was also saying like yeah i'll, I'll play in saudi arabia i don't mind like it, get, it gets to a point where we saw it with with golf as well like when you're offered 500 million dollars i mean it gets to a point where like Dude, you know? well, okay, well, uh, that's exactly where I was going to go. Like, you've got Will Zalatoris, right? The yeah. American golfer, the young guy. He was offered $110 million exactly. to join Live, and he turned it down. He turned it down. That, that, that's ridiculous. You know, in, you know, to be one with the PGA Tour, you know what I mean? And then six months later, you know, they amalgamated. And Live and PGA, they're working closer together now. And he's super pissed. I don't I think maybe there's a lawsuit going on around it, but... But you don't want to be that guy, right? That turns down a massive chunk of change. And then you understand that in the future, either way, like this is going to happen one way or another. And you know what I mean? You might as well get paid right now because you're not going to change, you know, the path of the future regardless in your decision. That's why I think Nadal actually, it's it's helping the game. It's making it more international. Yes, you may not agree with all of Saudi politics, but you could say that about a lot of different countries, okay? Uh, and I understand that they're doing a bit of sports washing these days, and it's working for them, for sure. They're definitely their their reputation on the international level has improved, I would say, drastically after all of what they've done in sports, with regards to live, with regards to um, Ronaldo, with regards to F one. And now tennis, it might actually cost them billions of dollars because I don't know if they'll ever make that money back on live, but at the same time, it's bringing in probably way more tourism. It's bringing in way more investment. So if you actually look at it holistically as a whole, it's probably a very smart political move. And they're actually paying these players through like their sovereign wealth fund. It's literally like Saudi government money. It's like it's literally an investment. Like and I, and I I don't think it is. I, I don't think they really care if they lose. A couple hundred million here or there, like they—they they no, have money. That's what I'm saying. But I think overall, forever. they're actually making the money back through Probably. other through other avenues. Yeah, and and like, but back to that Will, Will Zalatoris topic. Like I, you know, it's it's sometimes a little bit interesting to see like when some of these legends of the game 
go to Saudi because they have like Nadal, for example. I mean, he has enough money for generations on, upon generations. But like some of these young guys, yeah. like you, 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 you really can't, you can't blame them. Like, and I think it's stupid when a guy like, well, that's what, that's a crazy thing about Will Zalatoris. You know what I mean? What, like what do you think his bank, bank account's worth? Probably. He's probably worth $20 million. I don't know, maybe Different fifteen. Thing. He's made, he's, yeah. you know, he's done well the last three For years, sure. and I'm sure he has an endor and and lots of endorsements. But like, we're talking about 110 million when you look at that, right? That yeah. it's it's astronomical, and to turn yeah. that down, yeah, it's um, that's a tough, that's a tough call, yeah, for sure, yeah. But and then for PGA, then to kind of turn their back on you, saying, "Hey, don't do it," because we have a plan, etc. And then them go, you know what I mean, without notifying the players about this deal and then it gets announced before even the players found out i don't think they were very happy totally totally and it's it's interesting to see what like saudi's long-term play is gonna be here like i'm curious to hear what you think but i mean to me it seems like they probably at least want to maybe host like i don't know the olympics eventually maybe some world cups that like i I think they're you know they're starting small but their their play is going to be astronomical and maybe they start paying because i know like when people win gold medals for example like you don't get a lot of money maybe now they're like oh here we'll offer you this this amount of money for 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 winning these gold medals or medals and stuff and like it's it's easy to pay your way through sports especially when a lot of these athletes Mm -hmm. like when it's difficult for them to make a living i know in, in tennis it's a big thing where if you're ranked outside the top 100 like Frankly, it's it's really really hard to make a living. Yeah, um, and you see that consistently in some other sports as well. Yeah, I I don't know exactly what their end game is, but I do believe that that again I've um, I've used the term before, but sports washing. I think it's like how does Saudi, if you look at it, like how do they improve their reputation on an international level? Yeah, this is probably the easiest way to do it because you can throw money at it very easily, and then what happens, right? When it actually looks at investments into you know, the oil and gas industry, they're probably pr- trying to build up a, a tech industry, they're trying to build up all sorts of different industries. And the investors have certain criteria, right? These large institutional investors it has to be, you know, ESG, there has yeah. to be certain human rights, there has to be whatever. So they want to be able to start checking off those boxes. And I think by doing it in, in sports and improving their reputation is probably like a path to get there. They have to do other things as well. But that's probably that's my take on it. I don't know if this is just about sports. You know, I don't know if the the prince is just like a big sports guy and he just wants to have all like the Messi's and the Ronaldo's, yeah. you know, playing inside. Maybe there's a part of that, but I think there's probably a larger plan to it than just that. Yeah. I mean, I mean like for instance, for instance, like the WTA events that they've hosted there or even like that, the next gen, the men's event, like it was pretty empty. You know what I mean? It's not like... Yeah the Saudi people are just craving for more tennis events there. You know, there's, 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 so you wonder if, if only half of the seats are full, why are they offering? You know I mean? Nadal, I don't know. We, I don't know what the number is, but yeah, yeah. Must be it's big. gotta be, it's gotta be big. Like yeah. well, how big do you think it is? Like, I think it's gotta be to be like the tennis ambassador. It's gotta be at least 25 million plus. I would think. I mean, my, God, my, I was my, thinking a hundred million plus. So, so my number was, yeah, my number was like a hundred million. Just, just given yeah. how much, like if you're, if you're throwing what you said, like 110 mil to Will Zalatoris, who with all due respect, 
nobody really knows who that is. Like, yeah. unless they're really into golf, like Nadal, like yeah. everybody knows who Nadal is, even if you're yeah, not yeah. a tennis guy. Um, yeah, you'd have to you have to open up the checkbook for him, for sure. Okay, let's just talk about something else that's controversial going on at the Australian Open right now, and this is kind of rounding out the rest of the draw. Alexander Zverev. Okay, so mid tournament, I think it was probably the second or third day of the tournament. Um, there was, uh, I think it was like a court hearing, uh, scheduled for the assault allegations, or I think there's been two assault allegations against him regarding, uh, ex-girlfriends of his, nothing's been proven in court. He adamantly denies it. Um, but obviously it's kind of put this dark cloud over him. There's a few journalists that have access um, to the the media or part of the media that asked the questions in the post uh, post match, um, the post match. What do you call them? The post match interviews, press conference interviews, press conferences. Uh, there's a guy named Ben Rothenberg. Okay, he's you, super you're, woke. Your favorite. He's super woke, super annoying. He wants the men's Grand Slams to be best of three, not best of five. He just wrote this shit book on Naomi Osaka. His, he's the biggest Naomi Osaka fan. Anyway, every single uh, player, essentially, not just Zverev, okay? The first question he asks is if Zverev should be sitting on the ATP Council, should what do they think about the allegations, uh, and then most of the players are are stick handling it pretty well, saying, of course, we don't support any sort of physical violence against women. Clearly, who would? Um, but they're saying, but, you know, we have to wait and see. We don't know much about it. Um, then Zverev, after winning that five set match in the fifth set tiebreak, first question, OK, of the press conference was his. I think it was by Ben Rothen- Rothenberg asking about those allegations Zarev responded by saying, hey, I just finished a five-set match, a four-hour match, and that's the first question you asked me. But then what I find even more interesting, okay, and this is all about cancel, cancel culture. Uh, after that question, there wasn't a single question following in English. Okay, and what happens there is I think the other journalists, once that question gets asked, if they start reverting back to asking about tennis, they'll come off as maybe... What's the word I'm looking for? They're going to come off as not like supporting it, but yeah. but almost like being indifferent to these allegations. So turning they're scared now yeah. of looking bad from that sense. What's that? You're turning a blind eye. Exactly. So there was no English questions about tennis. And this is how it, this is how that starts to happen. Okay. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, I think so. I, I didn't know that he was going around asking all the other players about it. I think I, I, I just don't think there's much of a point to that because you're not going to get like anything asking anybody else about it. Like everyone's going to give you the exact same answer as you, as you mentioned. I mean, I, I think he's well within his right to ask him um, even, even first question after the match, like, like Zverev, just because you played five hours doesn't mean like you can just like sweep this under the rug. Like, I'm sorry. Like he's absolutely within his right. Like at the end of the day, like I think reporters, need to ask questions about what people care most about. And for example, like I'm, I was going through the the tennis subreddit and just like going through like the top, top posts, just seeing like what people are most interested about. And like the top, like one, two or three posts were like all about Zverev and the, 
and the domestic abuse allegations and, and all that. And it's like, if people are interested in that and want to know more about that, like they're totally, they're totally within their right to ask about it. Um, that, that's kind of my, my take. Yeah, I'm not saying they're not on their right to ask about it. And yeah, I'm not saying they're not on their right to ask about it. And actually it kind of, for this, this individual, this, this uh, reporter slash journalist, he uh, apparently he's gotten like more media and interview requests for him from other sources of media, you know, after these questions. So, you know, people love controversy, yeah, obviously. Uh, and it's creating, you know, a bit of controversy. We're talking about it right now. So I understand why he's doing it. Um, but it's just interesting uh, to talk a little bit more about. I think Zverev, I actually personally like, like Zverev, of course, if he, if this, if this comes out as being true that he did, like, you know, that would definitely change my opinion on him, but he still, he needs some PR work because even how he, this has been going on for years now, right? It's just a court date has just been decided on, but these allegations have been circulating for a while and he's never really stick handled it properly in his responses. I feel like he needs to like hire a real PR team. And either he just has to say no comment or he has some sort of like, you know, uh, response that, um, you know, it's a standard kind of response, but he kind of like takes it in different tangents. He, he, he'll actually respond to it in different ways. And, and then like the media just builds on that. So he could probably use a little bit of PR work. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's kind of in a way fueling the fire by even just re- responding to it. And yeah. like when he has comments and other news outlets are reporting on those comments um yeah i mean what the, the court date is in may or something is it so i mean it, it'll, yeah it, it's in may it, that's right it'll, it'll, it'll definitely continue coming up until then and then and then we'll see i mean i i haven't read too much about like the actual details of the court case um so so and we'll, we'll, do, we'll see okay do you think zverev can win the turn do you think zverev can win the australian open do you think talking about adding fuel to the fire do you think this is is fueling his fire to have a big result at the australian open it didn't look like it last round he wasn't playing very well against klein against a quali but but you know he's up and down so what do you think is going to happen in his next match against nori and if he gets through that could he get through uh, alcaraz I, I i don't think stuff like this will fuel his fire i think more than anything it's just a distraction for him because his his mind hmm. is in in a million different places like I mean, he's thinking about what, like, is he going to face, like, jail time potentially? Like, I don't know how the, like, what the potential punishments will be like. Um, will he be suspended? From I don't know. I assumed it would be a, I assumed it'd be a major fine, but well, I, I don't possibly know, like, maybe there, maybe there is jail time. I mean, maybe at least yeah, I don't some, know. some sort of suspension from the tour. I think they're civil. I don't know if they're criminal. I think they might be civil they, suits. Okay. I'm not sure. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure either. Um, so I, I definitely don't think it's something that, like, he's like, oh, I got to prove these doubters wrong because it's not like anybody's doubting his tennis they're doubting his ethics right. off the court which are in like are totally in the right to be questioned right like right right um, okay i agree i agree with you let's let's move on let's move on let's just touch on the uh the women's draw right now so there was a big upset yesterday Schwiatek lost to this check men check produce a lot of good tennis players myself included oh yeah um but she lost in she lost to uh, Niskova, some young Czech girl I'd never really heard of before. 
Sweet Tech was looking shaky throughout the whole tournament. She almost lost to uh, Daniel Collins, who announces will be her last year playing. But anyway, Sweet Tech, you know, I haven't watched much of Sweet Tech's game, but she's not that good. She's obviously a good mover, but she has no real weapons to her game. And the fact that she's number one in the world, she's still obviously very beatable. Uh, and she went out round three. I don't think she played very well this tournament, but uh, what did you have any thoughts on that? Honestly, I think, I mean, I, I, I was surprised she got through Collins. What, it was, I think, down 4-2, love 4-1. Or something, yeah. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I didn't watch I didn't watch the match last night. I think it was it was past midnight or something. Um, but, I mean... You know what's interesting right now is... Uh, here, you know what's interesting right now is the winner of that, which is Niskova, plays Svitolina. Now, if you remember in Wimbledon of last year, or maybe it was the U.S. Open, but Svitolina's run, it was all about Ukraine. Hmm. Okay, and, and the defiance of this country rising up through Svitolina... She's now in the round four against Niskova. She should win that match. Then she play a quarterfinal against maybe Azarenka, which do Belarusian they, do against. They have some tension but, there. Or? Well, she's Belarusian, right? Azarenka and Svidal and Svidalina doesn't shake hands with Belarusian. There was that tension. Remember, I think it was in Wimbledon where they didn't shake hands. Azarenka waited to shake her yeah. head, and then there was all that controversy around. I think they played afterwards, and then it was like all good. Okay. Or she played another Russian, and it was all good. Like they didn't shake hands, but there was like an understanding about it. But the world doesn't seem to be, I guess there's a lot of other conflicts going on in the world. The world's kind of moved on. I don't want to take this too political, but at least in the tennis world, there's no chatter about Svitolina carrying the Ukrainian flag and making a deep run in this tournament. Nobody's talked about her, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I just don't think people are in general talking about the Russia-Ukraine war as much as they were last year and and that's kind of totally that that's the result of that um yeah, yeah i it's natural people move on yeah and it's just a war that people it's just not getting the same sort of media attention obviously what's going on in the middle east and it's just like not on t- not top of mind like it was last year totally totally and like talking about the tennis like i i, I expect her to i mean azarenka has been playing quite well so i expect azarenka to come through that section I mean, I I know she got through my girl lost. She got through my girl lost to Panko yesterday, which I was yeah, pretty upset about. Yeah, like this this Noskova girl. <laughs> I honestly I don't know anything about her really. I mean, I watch. I, I did. I didn't watch that Shriatic match again with that being later tonight, dude. I I don't know if you were in the same boat. Full transparency, like I'm. I was filling out the women's bracket and like doing a little bracket challenge. I didn't know like sixty percent of the names. Like so many of these players, where I'm like, yeah, where, there's a lot where of names. Out of like, I don't know. They start with, they end with Ova, whatever. There are a lot of Czech, a lot of Russians, a lot yeah. of Eastern European names that I've never heard of either. Like, I feel like in women's tennis as well, although we're seeing it now in men's tennis, but there's like, you know, it, it allows for younger players to do well because maybe you don't need the same sort of physical strength as the men. I don't know. You know, you can counter that obviously with five you know, teenagers in the men's draw going deep. But maybe that's part of the reason that you haven't heard of these names because they haven't been on tour yeah. for a while. But um, yeah, I agree that there's a lot of names that I don't don't recognize. And it's kind of like, and this is for both men and women, but what's up with ESPN's coverage, you know, especially for Americans, you know what I mean? When you're wanting to watch like a good match going on, you know what I mean? Like there's a good matchup yeah. and then like an American is playing like a Navarro 
versus like uh, Yastermenka or whatever from who from wherever, and they're playing the full match of that. Meanwhile, like Dimitrov is playing somebody, or like it's like a, a crazy yeah. good match in the fifth set. Yeah, exactly. ESPN yeah. need to figure that out a little bit. That's been going on for years. I I think it's ridiculous. Like, I mean, I, I understand like ESPN, American, whatever, like American Network, and they want to show their Americans, but it's it's getting out of control. Like, especially with some of these Americans that are ranked, say, a hundred in the world, or or that nobody yeah. really knows about. That's kind of where I yeah. draw the line. Where it's like nobody wants to watch these guys play. Like yeah. a guy like Shelton, for example, fine. Like he's an American yeah. up and coming guy. I think everybody's interested in what he's doing. Sometimes maybe it's even a little too much Shelton, 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 or like golf, yeah. golf, golf. Like, but I understand. Oh yeah, that. they wouldn't miss a point of golf. Yeah, but you're right. But but then when it's like Tommy Paul against some like nobody, and then there's another five set match going on, they although only play the Tommy Paul match, for example, and the yeah. same thing happens in Canada. As well, you know, what I mean, if if Chapo was playing or Leila Fernandez or Rayonich or Ali Asim, they'll only on like the TSN channels, like the Canadian channel, they'll only show the men's match or not the men's match, the Canadian match, even though there's an, another amazing match going on. Like, yes, patriotism is part of it, but like most people are, are tennis fans over just watching their country person play. Yeah. And they I, need to figure that out. I, I wonder if they've done like legitimate analysis in terms of like ratings like maybe it's something where yeah there is like a legitimate correlation where like ratings plummet when americans aren't on and and if that's true fair play i mean i i kind of refuse to believe it because i feel like i mean unless unless all the europeans i guess are watching on like eurosport and and other networks i mean maybe there's something there um but I, I mean, as as a Canadian, I guess I have a certain bias where I don't really care about every single American who's playing. So I, or I mean, Canadian, yeah, I don't or, really care about every Canadian. Canadian that's playing either. I, yeah. I typically just want to see the best match. Yeah, and, and, and they they do a good they do do a good job of like I mean every time Djokovic is playing they'll show Djokovic every time Alcaraz that's is true. playing they'll they'll show that's Alcaraz um, or or Sviatic. That's all, true. All the Igas matches are there, but I I yeah. I, I would rather watch. For sure, like a Dimitrov against Kokonakis compared to... Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Talking about, okay, American, American women, uh, Anna, Anna Samova, okay, after taking a break last year, she basically took almost all of last year off for her kind of mental health. She's still super young. You know, she's been doing this for a while, it seems like, but it turns out she's like 22 or 23. You know, she's been, if if you actually just follow her on Instagram, you would assume she's completely quit tennis and she's just taking up full-time boating in the Florida Keys <laughs> and drinking ciders. Can you blame but her? Then she I, come, mean... I can't really blame her. She's probably got like $10 million in the bank and she's chilling. Um, you know, she likes hanging out. She seems to like to party. And then she shows up at the Australian Open. You know, I, I doubt she's been practicing as much as she could have been she's definitely out of shape a little bit you know what i mean her fitness level probably isn't quite there but she's i would say that she's probably one of the if if not one of the most talented woman in tennis because she just shows up and she makes other players look stupid like she kills them like she hits shots she just kind of dominates points a lot of the time now i've seen her dominate matches three quarters of the way through and then something happens with her mentally 
and then she completely turns into another player, you know, and loses those. But I feel like if she really wanted to, you know, be number one in the world in the women's game, she could be. I mean, I think that's a little bit of a hot take. I, I don't know if I would go as far as to say as she'd be number one in the world. I mean, she's definitely had like an interesting kind of like co- coming into tennis where she came kind of out of nowhere onto the scene and then quickly rose up to, I think, like somewhere top 15 in the world. I actually just checked her ranking. I, I almost didn't believe my eyes. She's ranked 442nd in the world, which is like nuts. Well, yeah, I guess I guess she didn't have a protected ranking. Yeah, and she just doesn't play. Yeah, but I yeah. mean, I mean, she's looked she's looked good so far. But, but still, Bedosa is a is a great win. The rank the ranking doesn't mean shit when it comes to her and her game right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, she's she's playing way above her ranking. I mean, like, do, do, you, do you think she might? Do you think she could beat Sabalenka I, in the next round? I, That's I, going to be a tough one. Sabalenka's looking the best in the tournament. I, I was about to ask you the same. I. I don't think so. I mean, Sabalenka just rolled what she went 6 0, 6 0 in like 23 minutes, probably. Or like, not, not 23 minutes. Yeah, it was minutes, a joke. But yeah, I mean, like, no, I know what you mean. It was a complete yeah. joke she, against Tarasenko or whatever. Listen, I think, okay, I don't think, I if I were to put money on it, I would bet on Sabalenka. But other than Goff, I would think from Sabalenka's camp, this is the last person that you would want to play, be playing. In the fourth round, if you go through the draw, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Whether it's Fretch or whether it's Kotsiak or Doden or Zhang or Polina or Yatstramenska or even Azarenka like, or Neskova, I would be rather be playing all of those players than Anna Samova at this point. So I think it's a bad draw, but I do think she'll get through it just because she's probably playing the best tennis of the tournament so far. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. But I mean, at the end of the day, though, if you had asked Sabalenka in the fourth round, if 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 she knew that she was playing Anisimova, she probably would have taken it. Like it, it's not a bad yeah. it's not a bad fourth round draw. I think yeah. what, what, one player that we haven't talked about yet in the women's draw, who I think is probably the kind of biggest story, is the sixteen year old Andriva, who came back from what I think it was five one, five one in the third and and one in the in the super tiebreak. I think she's she's definitely a player to watch. It's like sixteen years old doing this is. Chris, what were you doing at sixteen? Here. Well, well, Zork, I was I was walking around with baggy jeans and skate shoes and just getting into trouble like a big loser. That's what I was doing at sixteen. Um, but uh, you know, Zork, I'm a little upset because obviously you don't listen to this pod very often when you're not in it. When no, you're not I, on I, it, I listen to okay, it all the time. because because I've been talking about Andreva for a while, Have okay, you? including last year, and I said, my, watch out for this girl. My apologies. Yeah, I said, watch out. She's the she's the real deal. And even, and even my last pod, you know, going to the Australian Open, I said Andriva could make her first run in a Grand Slam here. I said Jabur is on the downslope of his career, her career, which clearly she is. She lost 0-2. People were saying how great Andriva was to beat Jabur. I think maybe that's part of the, part of the conversation, but Jabur played the worst match I've ever seen her play. Anybody would have beat her on that given day. Andriva is definitely going to be the future of the women's tennis unless something crazy happens. Her movement isn't quite there yet because she's like a big girl. She's like, I think she's close to six feet tall and she's still only 16 years old. So typically like you don't quite have the same sort of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? 
the same sort of like movement, you know what I mean? Or ability just to like understand your body when you grow that fast. So I think her movement is a little slow right now, but she just understands the game. She sees the court better than probably, well, almost anybody in the women's game right now. So I have huge expectations for her. I think her next match against Krechikova, the Czech girl, who's, she can be pretty good. So I think Andreeva might have trouble with her, to be honest. And then if she does get through that, I don't see her getting through a Sabalenka because she's just not strong enough. Yeah. But it is a big story. Okay, buddy. Thanks for coming on. And uh, everyone, thank you for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Love Means Nothing Tennis Pod. Follow me on Instagram, Chris Hasek Watt. Comment, do your thing. We'll talk soon. Bye-bye.